We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Day More NBA podcast. We are brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Today is March 26th, and on this week's episode, I am going to go through four potential trade targets for the Timberwolves this summer, four specific players. Uh, it'll be similar to last week with what I did with Aaron Gordon, a little less in-depth, of course, because it's going to be four different, four different guys, but it'll be similar in that looking at specific players, but also just types of players that might fit into what we um, understand the Timberwolves system to be and what we understand the roster to be. But uh, before I get into that, I, of course, want to send my well wishes to Carl Anthony Towns and his family. Um, I'm sure all of you had the chance to watch Kat's Instagram video uh, informing us that his father is in quarantine and that his mother is in a medically induced coma. Obviously, both of them... uh, suffering symptoms of the coronavirus and uh, you know I, I don't I don't really know what to say other than it's just really awful um, I think for for many of us this is our ultimate sort of fear in this that our, our parents get exposed uh, that that feeling I'm sure Carl has right now of not being able to help uh, that just has to be excruciating uh, I, I really I really do feel awful about that um, obviously I you know I wouldn't say Carl and I are like good friends or anything like that it's you know, in a, in a weird sort of way, he's he's someone I work with. Um, you know, oddly enough, just sort of the nature of the job is that I spend more time around Carl than I do, you know, a lot of other people in my life. And I, I don't know, I, I guess that makes it hit home a little bit more. Um, it's being real. It's not just, you know, someone on the news in New York. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's someone that I've met before that this is really um, seriously impacting. Um, and it's... Yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, I've I've had the chance to to talk to Carl's parents a few times. 
Um, I don't I don't really know how else to describe them other than that they are just really genuine, normal, and kind people. Uh, the first time I met Carl Sr. and uh, Carl's mom, Jackie, was at the Houston airport before game one of the 2018 playoff series. We were both uh, waiting for Ubers to our hotel, and uh, I introduced myself. I remember Carl Sr. being like, oh, yeah, we're here for the playoff series, too. Our son plays for the Timberwolves, and I was like... Yes, Carl Sr., I'm aware of who your son is. Um, I, I don't really know how to describe that interaction um, other than, you know, that one or other times we've crossed paths of anything other than super normal. You know, I was kind of thinking about it, you know, taking notes for this, and um, I, I just wrote down that it, it reminded me of you know, being at AAU tournaments growing up and just interacting with the parents that are there, you know, watching their son or daughter play. Um, that day when we were in Houston, uh, there had been this massive snowstorm in Minneapolis that morning, and I had to, like, dig my car out of the driveway at, like, 6 a.m. To, to get to the airport, and we were talking about how we both, you know, had this similar sort of thing. They were like, yeah, we had to, you know, dig our driveway out, too, and we were scared we were going to miss our flight, and I know it was just kind of an extended conversation that I remember Jackie, like, needing to pull Carl Sr. Uh, away from the conversation because the the Uber uh, w- was there for them. And I don't know, I, I just really, I really respect, you know, famous-ish people who maintain a ne- like a level of normalcy, even though they're kind of public figures. And, you know, for me, as I'm just going to be thinking about this, I'm, I'm going to remember, you know, you know, the warmth and kindness that I've always, you know, seen from, from Carl's parents in, in that interaction or any other time we've kind of crossed paths with a, a nod since. Um, on, the, on the website on Wednesday, I wrote a little bit about not only that interaction, but um, but also kind of the the personal interactions I've had with Carl um, over the years. I know just from you know talking to friends or you know some of you who who listen to this or or read my writing, you know I I I, I do hear and I don't I don't think it's wrong that you know it's Carl can kind of be frustrating in his you know his interviews or or you know he's, you know he kind of whines to the refs all the time and. I, I don't know. I guess the, the goal of my of my article was to say that he can be pretty different when when the cameras are off. Um, you know, when he kind of takes off his, you know, this mask of his that is kind of trying to figure out uh, what a, you know, what a public figure is. And I, I just thought it was well, while I was watching the Instagram video, um, I, I thought Carl removed that mask in that time too. And you know, I was just I was proud of him for that. And um, and I, I thought it was really good to see and, and hopefully really helpful for a lot of people. So if you do want to check out that article at Zone Coverage, uh, feel free to go do that. Um, with that, let's, we'll get into way less important stuff like potential trade targets for the Timberwolves. Um, be back in a sec. All right. So I received a Twitter mailbag question this week that I, I wanted to turn into this week's podcast topic. Um, this is just the question. Um, from Twitter, and it says, assuming Rosas will be in trade talks this summer, what could a James Johnson and Jarrett Culver package bring back in return? So think about that. I, I think the place to start there is with how much Johnson and Culver make um, in their salary. And for Johnson, that's that's $16.1 million next season. And for Culver, that's $6.1. So together, that's $22.2 million of outgoing salary. And when you send out that amount of money, you know, a few different things go into how much you can take back. The long and short of it is you can take back as little as 16.2 million and as much as 27.7 million. 
when you do send out 22.2. So that, that opens up what, what I think is a really interesting bubble of guys as I kind of made a list of all of them. And it, it really does kind of focus in on this, this group of players just coming off of their rookie contract deal. They're about 24, 25 years old, you know, the same age as Cat and D'Lo. So if you think about it, when, when a player does finish their, their rookie contract, there's kind of three different types of deal, deals they sign for their next contract which is kind of the, the cheap prove-it contract. It, it's often guys who are first-round picks but didn't really meet expectations during um, you know during their, their rookie-scale deal. You can think of a player like Noah Vonley, who was the ninth pick in the 2014 draft, and then after that expired, he just you know signed for a, a couple million dollars once that deal expired as a you know, prove-it sort of deal. On the other end of the spectrum, there's the max contract, you know, guys who theoretically project to be at least all-stars, if not you know, superstars. These are ultimately bets, and the, the Wolves made two of those bets with Wiggins, who they took in the 2014 draft, and Towns from the 2015 draft. Um, those deals are, you know, the, the max deals for about 30 million annually. It's about 30 percent of the or 25 percent of the salary cap. Uh, DeAndre Russell uh, signed this with the Warriors too, and obviously the Wolves inherited that in the trade. So that those are the two ends of the spectrum. But the other like main area, and it's the area that, you know, if if the Wolves were to be uh, making a trade. For Johnson and Culver, it's it's this third type of contract that I call upper medium contracts. I don't even know if that name really makes sense, but it's it's the type of contract that you know intriguing young guys who still have some questions signed for once the rookie deal is done. Um, Zach Levine signed a four-year, seventy-eight million dollar deal, nineteen point five million annually. That sort of fits the mold. Um, also, it's what I assume uh, Malik Beasley will sign for when his rookie deal expires this summer. Um, and it's just the, these players on upper medium contracts, salary wise, they they do they they match up um, with what Johnson and Culver make. So I put again put together a list of these players, be, not only because they fit up financially, but but because they do they are on you know Cat and Delo's age curve, you know theoretically making them pieces that fit some of Gerson Roster's Ro- Gerson Rosa's roster construction mold. Um, so then I think you, you make that list, and then the next step is about thinking how they might fit the system. And then what it would take, you know, in addition to Johnson and Culver in this hypothetical to acquire them. So of the four players, I chose to start with Karis Levert of the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Levert is 25 years old and signed a contract extension off of his rookie deal last offseason. That deal will kick in next season and we'll pay him $52.5 million over the next three seasons. Um, his salary just for next year is 16.2, so it does match up with the bottom end of what Johnson and Culver could be swapped for. Thinking about Levert, you know, for me, and I, I think I've said this on the, the podcast a few different times, you know, before D'Angelo Russell, well, when D'Angelo Russell signed with the Warriors, I kind of started thinking about, you know, who, who's the next guy? Who, who is a, another option of a player that they could, you know, trade for or sign in sort of that creator type of role? And Karis Levert, you know, kind of because of the Brooklyn connection, was was a guy who, who I thought of in that role. But... Even though the Wolves do have D'Angelo Russell now, I, I don't think that necessarily precludes the possibility that Levert could be brought in, you know, in addition to Russell now. I think Levert is, you know, definitely a positive asset in Brooklyn's eyes at that salary figure. But there is also definitely the questions about whether or not a high-volume creator like Levert fits next to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn. I mean, if we look at Golden State, KD and Steph, they could coexist because they were surrounded by elite role players and Clay and Draymond. So maybe that's more the, obviously Clay and Draymond are hard to acquire, but that more that type of player is maybe what Brooklyn is looking to slot in next to KD and Kyrie. 
I, I definitely don't think Johnson or Culver are are those pieces for Brooklyn. But you know, if the the Wolves did a, attach maybe a first round pick to that package, you know, could Brooklyn then reroute Culver and that first for a better fit than Lavert might be? I don't. To me, that seems possible at least. I mean, maybe we're, we're talking about a three team trade here, but it, it doesn't it doesn't seem impossible to me. So from the Minnesota angle, I think we now can look at Lavert through the lens of this team with D'Angelo Russell on it. And in Brooklyn last season, Russell's best offensive partner in terms of offensive rating was Levert. It was slightly better than Russell's pairing with Joe Harris on the wing, and it was way better than his pairing with Spencer Dinwiddie. And it, so I you know, kind of didn't think about that, trying to figure out why that was so good. I went back and looked at all of Russell's assists assist to Levert from that season. And, you know, most of it was pretty basic. You know, D'Lo looking to penetrate, as he is in Minnesota. When he doesn't have a lane, he kicks it to Levert, you know, kind of similar to what has happened with Beasley. And for Levert from there, he has the opportunity for that to be a spot of three or the opportunity to penetrate himself. Um, it was basic, but it, it seemed to kind of work. I think, though, that the, the best synergy for those two came when they were playing together in transition. I think that the main thing to know about Levert, if you haven't watched him very much, is he is really fast. He's almost, you're watching him play with, he's almost too fast for Russell, who kind of, you know, can slog his way up and down the floor. But Levert is, like, athletically fast, but he also, is like, works his ass off. Like, he runs so hard. He's just got a lot of, like, Josh Kogi to him or something in transition. Like, sometimes he's literally, like Kogi, you know, moving too fast for his own good. But, you know, with the Wolves looking like they might be trying to play with the fastest pace in the league next season, I think there's a real potential for opportunity in acquiring a player like that. Brooklyn was only 11th in pace in 2018-19 when Russell and Levert played together. The Wolves were first in pace after the deadline by a lot, actually, and that was obviously without Levert's presence. I just think he would he would fit in there. Um, physically, Levert is the exact same size as Culver, so it's it's a pretty line, pretty straight line positional replacement there. I think if they were to be traded for each other, literally Levert weighed in at 191 at the combine. Culver weighed in at 194. Um, Levert is a half inch taller. Um, he's six, six without shoes and half an inch longer in wingspan at six ten than Culver is. Um, so again, yeah, very similar player there, at least in terms of like physical shape. I think the difference is Levert and Russell weren't exactly a good defensive pairing in Brooklyn. Um, the, you know, the easy out there is to blame Russell, but you know, if you dig through it a little bit more, um, the Nets have actually been better defensively both of the last two seasons, even once Russell left with Levert off the floor compared to when he's on. Um, so it's just with Levert, defense is not a primary intrigue of his game. And, you know, to Culver's credit, that hasn't been the case with him defensively in Minnesota, even as a rookie. The Wolves have given up fewer points, two fewer points per 100 possessions when Culver is is on the floor than when he's off. So he's been, you know, a valuable defensive piece in that in that role. So say when, you know, thinking about it, if Levert does come in and he's, and the Wolves do bring back Beasley and Hernan Gomez as shooters around Cat and Dilo next year, I think you can make an argument that a slasher like Levert might be more valuable than another wing whose main skill is shooting, um, at least from an, you know, an offensive standpoint. I think particularly with Towns, this would be nice. Um, some of, I thought, Cat's best synergy with Wiggins came from when Cat would operate up top and Wiggins would cut off of him. Um, often like a backdoor sort of situ situation. I think Levert really has that skill set too. You could find that synergy there similarly. I just think Levert would fit in Minnesota. And I would argue 
that a reason that this is a reasonable trade conversation is because I think he would fit better in Minnesota than he uh, would in Brooklyn next year next to KD and Kyrie. Next up uh, for player number two is Clint Capella of the Atlanta Hawks, which still seems weird to say um, because Capella has not even played a game for the Hawks yet. Um, Yes, I do know that the Timberwolves do have already have a center in Carl Anthony Towns, but I think Capella is a good way, way to think about this. Like we were talking about last week with Aaron Gordon, like there are certain types of bigs that, that I think could be put next to Carl Anthony Towns. And I, I mean, I think, you know, Capella is a potential trade target that if Rosas does acquire a center to play next to Cat, I think that player is of the mold of Capella. You know, a true rim rolling center that will not be slowed down by playing in an up-tempo system. Like he can, he could run with this team. Obviously, there's also the mutual connection there for Capella and Rosas too. That that matters. Uh, Capella is also on the exact is on the pretty much exact same contract as Levert. His deal is for three years and fifty one point three million. That's what Capella's is. Um, a small issue uh, is that Capella only. Um, is set to earn $16 million next season. Remember, the, the line for Johnson and Culver is 16.2 would need to come back, but that's you know that's not too big of a deal. Atlanta can add a cheap or non-guaranteed deal to the mix to you know to, to make that happen if you know if the conversations were going. You're maybe thinking that well, how would this conversation even start? Atlanta did just trade for Cabela. He hasn't even played a game for him yet. That's all true. But that deal was Always a little bit bizarre from Atlanta's standpoint if you look at the rest of the roster. I mean, they have John Collins under team control, who is extension eligible. I think we just decided that, you know, as a collective NBA community or whatever, that that kind of spelled the end of Collins' time in Atlanta. I don't think we know that. Like, they could very well bring back John Collins, sign him to an extension. They also traded for Dwayne Dedman, another center at the deadline. So, you know, if, if they do find a number for Collins next summer, like, and Deadman is still under contract for two more years. Like Atlanta is nowhere near thin in the front court with their, you know, with the roster. So I don't know. Does that make Capella expendable if they have both Collins and Deadman locked up long-term? Maybe. I, I think that's a place to start. It's also important, I think, to note that Atlanta didn't necessarily give up much for Capella. They were a part of that four-team trade um, to acquire Capella. It obviously included Minnesota as well, you know, in the, the Denver piece of it with Houston and Minnesota as well. Um, the Hawks part of the deal was they gave up Evan Turner for salary matching and Brooklyn's 2020 first round pick to acquire Capella. Meaning we, we literally know that Atlanta views Capella to be worth that Brooklyn first round pick. And well, that pick went to Minnesota in the deal. So if the Wolves literally have that exact asset value that maybe if there was a new deal, they could put that back in to, you know, kind of be the additional grease, you know, to the Johnson and and Culver chunk of the trade. I I, I mean, we can't know exactly what market values all are, but I just don't think we know that Atlanta views Capella to be their long-term answer at center, given the rest of their roster makeup. And with Minnesota, I, I think we should, you know, keep the possibility open that they could bring in a type of big that plays like Capella. I think probably the more pressing question is what do they, you know, think of Culver? What would Atlanta think of Culver? Uh, four wings were drafted in the top 10 of last season's draft. 
RJ Barrett, DeAndre Hunter, Jarrett Culver, and Cam Reddish. Atlanta already has two of those players. Would a third be overkill? Maybe, but maybe not. You know, what does Atlanta have plenty of? Shooting, Trey Young, Kevin Herter. What do they desperately lack? Defense. That sounds a lot like Jarrett Culver to me, or a need for Jarrett Culver. Now, if Atlanta does make that move, one of those three wings, you know, would need to go to the bench, but I, I don't think that's the end of the world. I think Reddish and Culver have played like bench guys. So I, I, I personally don't see it to be overkill. From a basketball standpoint, for the Wolves, I think this type of trade would, you know, open up that, real, uh, that opportunity to see what Towns looks like next to another traditional big. You know, Cap paid 1,187 minutes this season. Of those minutes, he shared the floor with Gorgie Jang for eight minutes, Noah Vonley, 25 minutes, and Jordan Bell for 102 minutes. The rest of them, it was small ball. It sounds weird to say this, but Capella is basically like a souped-up version of Jordan Bell. Like, offensively, Capella, you know, he could play in the dunker spot along the baseline, providing an, a lob option in the four-out offense. Um, you know, this would often look like him coming up to be the high screener for D'Lo or for Beasley in a pick-and-roll. Um I, you know, I think the fit might be a little bit wonky with Cat when Cat decides to drive because Capella will kind of be in the way because he can't really space out to the corner. Well, he can't at all. He just, he's a non-shooter. But, you know, that's going to be that's going to be the issue with, with any player filling in the, the dunker spot when Cat is on the floor with them. And that's just probably going to happen. That's just the, the nature of this that they're going to have to navigate. And then defensively, like Bell, um, Capella is the, the type of big, you know, who can effectively switch on the players who are smaller than him. You know, that's what Bell was signed to be, and it you know didn't really come to fruition. I think for D'Lo specifically, that type of player would be beneficial for switches. It would also be beneficial to, you know, as a, a to have a second rim defender there behind him. I mean, teams would probably try to space out at least one of Towns or Capella defensively if they're on the floor together. But, you know, one of the two should always be able to be there to the, defend the rim, you know, if slash when, you know, Russell gets cooked when someone goes by him. You know, also, again, I've been bringing up Brooklyn, but I, I think I, I remember how I mentioned how Lavert was was Russell's best option in uh, in Brooklyn, the, his best pairing. Well, Jared Allen was his second best offensive partner, and that just makes a ton of sense. You know, like Russell's a guy who digs into the midrange, and when that's not there, having a lob threat like Allen, that would be really beneficial for him. Capella, you know, Capella has a very similar game to Allen's. Like, I, I think having a player like Clint Capella would, you know, provide, you know, defensive stability for Cat. It would allow him, we'd at least get to see what he looks like outside of a rim protector role, which we have never really seen. And then also for Russell, I think it would be really, it'd be really positively impactful from a, from an offensive standpoint. This Timberwolves roster does not have a true, you know, rim rolling center. Moving on, uh, the third player I chose as a potential trade target was Dennis Schroeder of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, it feels like Schroeder's been around a little longer than Levert and, than Levert and Capella. Um, he is further into his quote-unquote upper-medium contract that has only one year and 15.5 remaining on it. But Schroeder is just half a year older than Levert and Capella. So I'd say he definitely still fits the age curve of, you know, Cat and D'Lo if we're, if we're prioritizing that. I think, you know, the, the bigger sort of existential issue would be, you know, well, they, the Timberwolves already have a point guard. And that would have been a lot bigger of a deal, I think, a, a year ago when we thought about Dennis Schroeder. But, but now to, to have seen him 
operate as a second guard in an offense for the, the whole year in Oklahoma City. I mean, I think he's really squashed that narrative. I mean, Schroeder has played nearly every minute of the season with one of Chris Paul or Shea Gilgis Alexander on the floor with him. And the numbers in those pairings are, are unreal. I was stunned to see these when I looked them up. Like, Schroeder and, and Shea have a plus 9.2 net rating in in 1,166 minutes this year when they're on the floor together. And then Schroeder and Chris Paul are plus 15.4 in 990 minutes. For some context of what that those net ratings mean, I mean, it, the Milwaukee Bucks have the best net rating in the NBA, plus 10.7. The Lakers are second best, plus 7.1. So the Thunder, I mean, for the Thunder to be producing at that level, um, that effective on both sides of the ball, I mean, if you break down the numbers, you look at – when Schroeder's out there with SGA and with CP3, the defense is actually really, really good. I think that's a real testament to Schroeder being able to fit and to be a positive part on both sides of the floor in a, in a small backcourt. Additionally, Schroeder has benefited a lot this year, I think, from playing with a, a true stretch four and Danilo Gallinari. Uh, OKC's net rating with those two on the floor is plus 13.9 in 838 minutes. When, and then when Schroeder, CP3, and Gallo have all been out there together, it's a ridiculous plus, plus 21.2. And again, we're not talking about like a small sample. Like that happens a lot for them, 465 minutes. You know, Schroeder has also fit with a traditional big. He plays with Steven Adams. Schroeder, CP3, and Adams, net rating of plus 18.7. I mean, those numbers basically say that the Thunder have actually been like a low-key, really good team this season. But they also, I think, inspire some confidence that Schroeder could play with not only another point guard like D'Angelo Russell, but also, you know, a stretch big or a traditional big. And that's what Cat, I mean, Cat's both of those things. I, I think he would be able to fit with, with both D'Lo and Cat. I do wonder, um, and I don't know what the answer to this question is, I, I wonder if the Wolves front office would deem trading for Schroeder on an expiring contract as a bad investment. Like, I, I think you can kind of look at it two different ways. If you were to, if it were, we are talking a Culver Johnson swap here again, I mean, you're trading Culver, a top 10 pick for a player in Schroeder that is on an expiring deal, so might only be on your roster for one deal, for one year. That kind of sounds bad. Or, I mean, you can look at it the other way. You get a test Schroeder for a year, and then his money falls off the books before that big 2021 summer. I mean, I, I know I'm at times probably a little too hard on Culver, but I do think one thing to seriously like caution with him is the fact that he's on the books for 6.4 million in that 2021 season. And then 8.1 the year after that, like it's not necessarily cheap. I I don't think Culver will necessarily be like become a negative asset at, you know, 6.4 million. I just, it, it isn't that much, but I, but I do wonder, you know, if that contract without this trade or without any Culver trade would be somewhat of a hindrance in the Wolves, you know, going all in in the summer of 2021. I think, you know, renting Schroeder for a year in a swap for Johnson and Culver, you know, that that will that would it would remove Culver's hap, cap hit altogether from the books. I also think it could be a worthwhile like rental slash investment in Schroeder because it might really work. Like maybe they would then, I mean, if they traded for Schroeder and his contract expired, they'd have his bird rights, so they could still go out and sign or trade for big free agent X and then come back. And you know, go over the cap to sign Schroeder. I mean, that that's the ideal situation with any player on an ex- expiring contract. Those are all the positives. Um, there's there's the obvious, you know, big question mark of what would a Russell Schroeder Beasley backcourt be defensively? I mean, it would probably be awful, and it would certainly be tiny. Maybe you know, maybe this pursuing Schroeder path then only happens if the Wolves miss out on retaining Beasley in restricted free agency this summer. 
you know, I, I, I mean, it seems like Beasley's likely to return, but you know, who knows with how this whole market is going to all shake out. Like we have no way of knowing what his market is going to be. We have no way of knowing that he's going to be, you know, back in Minnesota next year. I think there is a world where Beasley is gone and the Wolves do need a different dynamic guard. Maybe that's Schroeder. Again, you know, that would come with some added value of being a piece that isn't locked up long-term. He could provide value on the floor and in that flexibility that he would provide potentially, you know, from a financial standpoint. So I think Schroeder is interesting, obviously, someone I've talked about a few times over the course of the year. And just main shout-out to him, the Thunder in general, like, those numbers are unreal. They, I'm bummed to not be able to see that team uh, get to play in the playoffs. Well, oh no, I'm not ruling out the playoffs yet. The fourth player I chose to look at was Buddy Heald, um, which uh, to get to his salary first is it's way bigger. He signed a, a contract extension this past summer um, for $94 million. That pays him 26.4 next year. I, I still wanted to include him, even though his contract is big, um, because if the Wolves got Buddy Heald for Jared Culver and James Johnson, they'd be the best shooting team in the NBA. I really do think that. I don't think that's hyper hyperbole at all. I mean, think about it. Towns, Russell, Beasley, Heald. I mean, holy hell, that's ridiculous. Here's some, some shooting numbers. Towns, this season, shot 41.2% from three on 8.4 three-point attempts per 36 minutes. Super high volume. He's a 39.6% shooter from deep for his career. Heald, even higher volume, 39.5% from three this season on 10.9 threes per 36 minutes. For his career, he's 41.1% from deep. Beasley, 38.8% from three this season, 42.6 um, in Minnesota. If you include both, he's on 8.2 threes, 8.2 threes per 36 minutes as well. Again, super high volume. He's 38.8% for his career, too. D'Angelo Russell, 36.7% from three this season, including Golden State and Minnesota, on 9.6 threes per 36 minutes. He's a 36% three-point shooter for his career. That would just be – I would be ridiculous shooting. It would be a ridiculous shooting team. And, you know, considering the Wolves were literally the worst three-point shooting team in the league before the deadline, this that sort of change would be wild. Um, again, I, who knows if it's – even possible to happen, but I, I think if we just think about it, like I, I just think Heald is the most underrated three-point shooter in the league. Like he's a guy that I don't think gets enough exposure in Sacramento. I think as you know, as as Wolves followers, we've we've come to learn this year with Cat and then with Beasley and D'Lo that for a player to get off ten threes a game, they have to do like crazy things to generate those looks. Like at some point, opponents stop letting elite volume shooters get clean looks. Like with Cat, we we saw he. He has to get his off of on like through up fakes and through step backs. We you know we've seen D'Lo need to take contested bombs from well beyond the three point arc to get his volume up there. And with Beasley, we've seen him need to have the, the, his his footwork and be able to shoot off the dribble to reposition himself, you know, around the arc. Like that's what is able to boost his volume there. Like Heald gets his kind of in a combo of the ways that D'Lo and Beasley get theirs. You know, he can pull off the dribble like D'Lo. But he's also elite. I, I would say even better than Beasley in repositioning himself around the arc. The, the dude has an absolute motor moving around on offense. Like if you traced his running around in the half court, it would make like a snowflake shape because he's just sprinting into the nail and then back like with or without the ball, then back out to the three point line to to reposition himself. Like I don't, 
I, I don't think anyone in the league is better at that specific thing than Heald is. Or certainly no one does it as frequently as he does. Like Levert, again, like I mentioned, Heald signed a contract extension this fall that kicks in next year. Unlike Levert, um, it's for four years, and it's for about $10 million more annually. Um, Heald will earn $26.4 million next season and $94 million over the four years. Now, that might make him seem less attractive. I mean, I, I guess it does, but when a player is less attractive, it also makes them you know, theoretically more attainable because he's not as certainly a positive asset on the on the Kings, on the team he currently plays for. Um, it may not be likely, you know, that, that Heald comes to Minnesota, but, like, I, it's not unrealistic at all to say that Buddy Heald is traded this summer. I mean, Sacramento already has over $100 million committed in salary for next year, which includes Heald. But that's with Bogdan Bogdanovich's deal expiring. And, like, he pretty clearly seems like a guy that they want to continue to invest in. So I, I think Bogdanovich resigning theoretically makes Heald or, you know, Harrison Barnes, who's also making over $20 million a year, um, expendable for the Kings. Like, Sacramento isn't getting any cheap, getting cheaper anytime soon either. Like, De'Aaron Fox is a free agent in 2021. Like, is he, I mean, is he going to get the max? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to have Barnes on the books. You're going to have Bogdanovich on a new deal. You're going to have Fox. And then you're going to have Heald at this number. Like, at some point, you just, you know, you can't do it. I mean, I, I think if you're, if you're saying like we want to create financial fl- flexibility, if you're the Kings, then like James Johnson's expiring deal and Culver's rookie scale deal may very well be more attractive than Heald is at twenty six point four million. It's just that's just a really high salary. I mean, wh- I don't know what else would they want in addition to Johnson and Culver. If anything, that would be dependent on you know the negotiation, and it would depend on what, you know, the Wolves see the value of Heald to be at four years and $94 million. I just think, you know, Heald's presence surrounding Cat, you know, whether that is Cat on the block or beyond the arc, it would do so much to deter, deter opponents from bringing a second defender on Cat's drives or a double team on his post-ups. I mean, think about how many times we would see Cat get doubled on the block this year and he'd be forced to skip it to Trevion Graham or Josh Okogie on the other side of the floor. I mean... Teams just began cheating off those guys so much. You can't do that with Buddy Heald. Or you can't do that if it's Buddy Heald and Malik Beasley. Or DeAndre Russell, too. I mean, the whole balance of the floor would shift with elite floor spacing that Heald would provide. Like, I don't know. I mean, you'd be picking your poison. And, like, a, a cap post-up's good. But, a you know, one of those 40% three-point shooters is, is even more poisonous. I think Cat would get a lot of single coverage looks on the block and that would be I mean that that I just really think that that could be dynamic again I keep making these parallels to Brooklyn with Russell but Joe Harris you know he works here too right as a as a buddy healed comp like Levert Levert was Russell's best offensive pairing and then it was Harris and Allen were tied for the second most effective with Russell I I think I keep thinking about a thing that Ryan Saunders started saying after the trade deadline was we want to be a team with elite floor spacing well, it would be elite with Towns, Heald, Beasley, and Russell. And I think for Russell, you know, running the show, he would just be able to, he would just be able to go to work in that. Um, and I don't know, maybe it would even be good enough to make up for the team defense that would almost certainly be awful with those four. But that's that's probably what you give up with becoming the best three point shooting team in the league. Okay, those are my four main ones I wanted to highlight in more in depth. But here's a couple of like honorable mention upper medium contracts to, to add to the list. 
There's uh, no particular order here. I actually think it's alphabetical order of their teams. Zach Levine in Chicago is on a two-year, thirty-nine um, million dollar contract, nineteen point five million a year. Um, I think he he fits the mold. Gary Harris is on has, has two years and thirty-nine point seven million left on his deal. Miles Turner is another guy I've talked about before. Three years, fifty-four million left on his deal. Here's a weird one, but also kind of fits the mold. Victor Oladipo, one year, twenty-one million left on his deal. No, the Pacers were having a lot of success without him. I, is he? I, I don't know. Oladipo is very good, but is he duplicative to what they were trying to do with Brogdon and Sabonis? You know, I don't know. Um, I, I think he's someone who could potentially be moved. If we if we bump up a little out of a little bit older players, you know, there's Drew Holiday, who is obviously a name that was out there at the trade deadline. He has two years and fifty three point four million left on his contract, but he has a player option in year two that I assume he'll be being opting out of. So he could kind of be a rental guy. For someone, maybe for the Wolves, obviously that would be way more of a two-way player that um, you know would ad- address both sides of the floor, uh, you know, a little bit more balanced way. But again, the money, you know, the money would work there. Uh, it would obviously the Wolves would need to pay more than just call- Johnson to Culver here, but that you know that extends for all these players. Uh, another honorable mention, one I hate, is Julius Randle. Um, he has two years and $38.7 million left on his deal. The second year is non-guaranteed. And then the last one I have is Aaron Gordon, who I talked about plenty last week on, on the pod, and he has two years and $35.5 million. So I don't know. I mean, it's not a, it's not a small list of these guys. Like, this is a bunch of, a bunch of dudes who are in that, you know, early 20s to mid-20s sort of range, and – I don't know. In in these in these dead times with no basketball, we're we're kind of forced to to play fake GM, and you know this is where my head goes. I think I think that um, it's fair to think about these type of players, and it's fair to you know put together hypothetical deals because we do know that this front office is going to be aggressive. And if one of these players is available on the cheap, like I, I don't know, I, I just think one of these paths could happen. I, I really do. I'm not you know I'm not making it up. I, I think. I think all the players check the age box so that, you know, theoretically um, that it provides some intrigue from, you know, from the Wolves front office, who's clearly prioritizing the age curve. And then, you know, the, the upper medium contracts are the type of deals that they just do make sense to get moved. Like to pay a good but not great player that much money if they don't fit your roster, like that that doesn't make sense. Like you, you need to repurpose that asset into something else and you know, if that's into an expiring contract contract like Johnson and a player on a rookie deal like Culver and maybe another draft pick, which obviously the Wolves have those two, like that that makes some sense to be off of the financial burden of the upper medium contract. I, I think the, the important thing to remember with those deals, too, is like they're not that valuable because those I mean, I, I listed off all those numbers like those aren't cheap deals. It can it can make sense. I mean, historically, guys have gotten traded on those type of deals for not a haul. Like sometime a team just says, all right, you know, we're ready to, you know, we're ready to move on and like give us a, a guy on a rookie deal. Give us a pick. Like, we'll we'll do it. I, I, I just assume that multiple of those, these players that I listed of the four and then the honorable mention, I'm, I think multiple of them will get moved this summer. Now we'll see if the Wolves get into the mix. I don't know. That will be dependent on, you know, what other teams think of Johnson and Culver as assets and how the Wolves feel about throwing in additional picks to the mix. But it is, it is possible i i wouldn't talk about it if i didn't think this sort of deal wasn't possible 
So that's what I got for this week. Check out um, zonecoverage.com for an article version um, with some video of what I discussed on Aaron Gordon last week, just kind of talking about the power forward position and, you know, how we should think about that going forward. I didn't really, um, outside of Capella, I didn't really talk about any power forwards in this because that 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 is the that's the tricky spot I think with this team that we don't really know we don't really know what um, what Rosas wanted to do, wants to do there so check out that for some of the video stuff of what I was talking about on last week's episode and then um, yeah that'll be coming in the next few days and then I think I'll also turn this podcast into an article too where I'll I'll use some video to show Levert playing with Russell and what Capella might look like just kind of going through all those sort of guys and. Um, just so we can kind of get a, a visual of, of what it might be. So check those out. Thank you, um, as always, for sticking with us during this weird time. Um, I do appreciate it. Again, prayers up to the Towns family and all of your families as well. Please be well during this time, and I will talk to you next week. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it all so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.